Praise the Lord, church. You can do better than that. Praise the Lord, church. All right, all right. That's better. That's better. I saw that video, and I, I think it's a good introduction to what I want to talk about on today. The opening quote from the video is based on a larger quote from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. Here is the larger quote. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. In other words, what C.S. Lewis is trying to say is that there is no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus. You either have to receive him as Lord and Savior or you reject him outright. This morning, my goal is simply to lift up Jesus. That's all I want to do. So we're going to be coming from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Now, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the saints who lived in Ephesus. Paul had a really close relationship with them. You don't have to go here, but I'm going to go to Acts chapter 20 real quick because I want you to see how close he was to the saints who lived here. Give me one second. says here in Acts chapter 20, verse 36, what he's done is he's let them know that he is soon to leave them. And he told them that he has not failed to share with them the whole counsel of God. And it ends by saying, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. So they were very saddened at the fact that Paul had to leave them. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that he spent like two years in their midst. Now, if we go back to Ephesians, we can see here, Paul starts his letter with establishing who the letter was from. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He also lets us know who it is for. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. He then goes on to declare grace and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that point forward, he begins to talk about what we have in Christ. And that's where I want to start. So I'm going to start at verse 3 and I'm going to read down to verse 10. 
It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So let's examine a little bit closer, what have we been blessed with in Christ? In verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. In other words, we have been given what's been made available to us is heavenly provision. Verse 4, it lets us know that we are chosen by the Father to be holy and blameless before him in love. In other words, we have been picked out and set apart as uniquely the Father's. And that's interesting. There are hundreds of us in here. We all, if we know Jesus, belong to the Father, but each one of us individually, uniquely belongs to him. Verse 5 having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. We have been received as sons and have been given the Father. Think about that. Not only have we been received as sons, but God has given us himself. Verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We have acceptance. You are accepted. I don't care how much rejection you may have experienced in your life. In the kingdom of God, if you've received Jesus Christ, you are accepted in the beloved. In other words, you have been given a place at his table. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Redemption by Messiah's blood, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, we have been liberated from the bondage of sin being purchased by the Messiah's blood. Verse 8, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Let's look at a couple things. It says to abound. That word abound means it has been given to you in overflowing. God didn't just fill your cup. He filled your cup to overflowing with wisdom and prudence. In other words, the knowledge and insight of God. A peek into his plans and purposes before the foundation of the world. 
Remember when Jesus told his disciples, he says, you are my servants, but you're no longer my servants. You are my friends. Why? Because I share with you what the Father has shared with me. And now God has shared with us what he shared with Jesus. Verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in us. In other words, the will of God has been revealed to us. That which God held close to his vest, he has revealed, made known, and made manifested to us. In other words, we on the inside, y'all. Now, what is it that God has revealed to us? who have received Christ as our Messiah. His plan for the ages, let's read verse 10. It says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. In other words, his plan for the ages, when the time fully comes, he, the Father, will gather together all things, or you could say sum up all things in one person Christ things both in heaven and on earth now the question comes what does Paul mean by saying that all things will be gathered together or summed up in Christ let's go to Romans chapter 13 Romans 13 we're going to start at verse 8. In the book of Romans, Paul has made known to us that both Jew and Gentile are under sin. But God has provided a great salvation to us all. And so in Romans 12, he tells us, in light of what God has given to you, in light of what God has done to save and set you free, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God is. That's what he does. And then in Romans 13, he talks about the fact that there is government that has been established by God. And the government that he has set up, we should be obedient to as Christians, as believers. But then he goes on to say in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he, wow, I just got loud. Let's start that again. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in verse 9 of Romans 13, Paul lists a majority of the commandments and states that all of the commandments, when summed up or added together, equal the saying, love your neighbor as yourself. The phrase summed up in verse 9 is the Greek word. Let me see if I can pronounce this correctly. Anakephaleo, which is the same Greek word used for gather together in Ephesians verse chapter 1, verse 10. In verse 10 of Ephesians 1, Paul is saying 
that each period of human and heavenly history will be brought together and summed up in Christ. So this begs the question, how is this possible? How is everything that has ever happened and everything that ever will happen be summed up or gathered together in Christ? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Jesus is the seed of the woman who crushes the head of the enemy as the great skull crusher of the enemy. In Exodus chapter 12 verse 11, Jesus is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus chapter 23, Jesus is the fulfillment of the feasts of the Lord. In Numbers 20, Jesus is the rock that provides water to his people. In Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, Jesus is the prophet like unto Moses, only greater. Joshua chapter 5 verse 14, Jesus is the captain of the armies of the Lord. In Ruth chapter 4, Jesus is the great kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, Jesus is the champion of Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, Jesus is the son of David whose throne will be established forever. In Isaiah 53, Jesus is the suffering servant of Yahweh. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 22, he answers the question, is there a bomb in Gilead? He is the answer to that question. In Jeremiah 23, verse 6, Jesus is Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 15, Jesus is the true shepherd of the sheep. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus is the son of man who has been given a kingdom. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, Jesus is God's son called out of Egypt. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Jesus is the one that comes out of Bethlehem to be ruler in Israel. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus is the desire of all nations. In Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, Jesus is the servant of the Lord called the branch who shall build the temple of the Lord. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, Jesus is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham, the fulfillment of God's everlasting covenants. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus is the rock upon which the church is built. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus is the son of God. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, Jesus is the one upon whom the Spirit of the Lord rests to proclaim the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to bring sight to the blind, to set at liberty the oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Jesus is the word. He is God and the creator of all things. In John chapter 1, verse 29, Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Acts chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. In Romans chapter 16, verses 20, Jesus is the one who will crush Satan under our feet. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, Jesus is to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption personified. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus is the one who knew no sin but became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
In Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, Jesus is the one who made a curse, who was made a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham would come upon us. Y'all gonna get this after a while. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Jesus is the name above every name at which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, Jesus is the one who holds all things together. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, we are made complete in Jesus. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Jesus is the soon coming king who will consume the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. In 1st and 2nd Timothy, Jesus is the man who is the mediator between God and mankind, and he is the seed of David. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession and our faith. In James chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus is the Lord from glory. And first and second, Peter, Jesus is the stone which was rejected by the builders, but has become the chief cornerstone. And first and second, John, Jesus is the son of God and our advocate. In Jude chapter one, verse 24, Jesus is the one who is able to keep you and me from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. And lastly, Revelation chapter 19 verse 16, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. What am I trying to tell you? Jesus Christ is our everything. He is our everything. Stand to your feet.